Hello and welcome. This is Ken Drews. I'm the host of Ken Drews Real Dirt, right here on Lime, Healthy Living with a Twist, Sirius Satellite Radio 114. I'm joined by Vicki Johnson, and we're here every week to talk about the garden. And today we're going to talk about a greenhouse operation in Danielson, Connecticut, that has been in operation with the same family running it for 114 years old. It's not the same people. <laughs> These are younger people, but they're still running it. And last week, I think it was last week and maybe even the week before, we talked about my night blooming Sirius. I know it was last week. And that bloomed for the first time in a very long time because I've been neglecting it. But it used to bloom every year for one night. And it was worth it. <laughs> yes. And I also want to talk about uh, what might seem like a big deal, a big job. And there's so many things about perennial borders and beds and plantings that people don't know. And some of them sound scary, and I don't want to scare people. I want to, I want to remind them, this is fun. Yeah, hooray. Yeah, we're outdoors. <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe you're sort of thinking that you're just not good at the things that you're doing because you're trying to make a perennial border or a flower bed that has color every minute of the year from February 1st <laughs> to, oh, including the dry, beautiful things with pods and everything. So there's every minute of the year, it's beautiful. Well, not only is that a lot of work, but it's very difficult next to impossible. I was uh, going to say, very uh, next to unrealistic. Well, it's certainly unrealistic unless you have a staff. Mm. I remember there was an article not too long ago about... Or a lot of plastic flowers. Well, then, <laughs> then you need at least dough. And you know, those plastic flowers have to be hosed down. I'm telling you, they don't stay clean by themselves. They get no, they, they get filthy. Pollution really shows up. It shows you how dirty the air is. It's scary. If you want to see how dirty <laughs> your air is in your garden, put some plastic flowers out there. Uh, anyway. Or not. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> well, I remember the article about the man who wanted to reduce maintenance, and uh, he he just didn't feel that he could keep up with his 300-foot-long perennial border. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay. And so he was giving it up for 12 acres of woodland. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's different. A little less. It is less maintenance probably. But Yeah, you put your trial down feet. and pick up a chainsaw. Because there's a lot of maintaining a woodland means lots of sawing and hauling of heavy logs. Well, he, I think he was even going to make a garden. I think he was just going from 25 helpers to 15, <laughs> maybe. 15 bigger guys. And I just yearn for one <laughs> helper person. <laughs> well, there's lots of things that we do to our perennial borders to make them as good as they can be, whether they're going to be 12 months or not. But uh, the daunting task that I'm about to approach is what I would call border renovation. And that is really when you completely dig up a border and redo it. And that sounds heretic. It makes me want to go lie down if you want to know well, the But truth. people who have these gorgeous borders, especially in England, they do it, you know, like every other year. They have their staff do it every other year. Right. Well, I don't have a staff. You know, I mean, you know, except we must, I mean, there has to be a disclaimer here because Christopher Lloyd had a staff, but a staff of what, two? I mean, he had Fergus Garrett, who was yeah. certainly hands-on and out there, you know, sweating and digging. And maybe one or two others is the most I ever saw at the height of the season when I visited their garden, his hmm. garden. 
So, you know, not everybody has 15 maintaining fabulous places. No, but I want to do this. <laughs> and what I was going to say is I've done it before. I've done it, I think I've done it just really once before, but it's, it's past time. Because you want to renovate the border because, you know, so many perennials that you plant have to be divided or they stop blooming. And uh, some don't, like peonies you don't divide. And gas plant, dictamus, I couldn't remember the name, dictamnus, I couldn't remember the name of that. That's a, well, peonies live for over 100 years and you don't divide them or disturb them. But almost everything else, like bearded iris and even Siberian iris, you dig them up and you cut them up. But if you take them out of the border before you divide them and reset them. Then you can renovate the soil. And you can also get rid of the perennial weeds. And one of the worst ones is lawn grass. When lawn grass gets into your border, you have to really, you have to dig it all out, I think. There's, uh, if you don't use potentially hazardous chemicals, that is. Although I don't think those grass-specific killers work all that well <laughs> in my I've, experience. Yeah, well, if you're inheriting... a uh, a neglected border, you might have long grass. I, you know, does a real, does a real gardener end up with long grass in their borders? Am I a real gardener? Uh, well, you're chained to the computer. I don't know if you are anymore or not. No, that's a good, good question. I mean, you are not spending two on average two hours a day in the garden no. in the height of the season, even when you're here. I maybe mean, when you're here. The, maybe that's why the idea of renovating it sounds so good. And you don't have help. You don't have hired help. I'm just letting people know that, that Ken Drews does not live the idealized gardener's life. Oh, uh, thank you so much, Vicki. And by the <laughs> way, Ralph, would you get me another drink, please? And <laughs> Allison, uh, get down off the ladder. I'm worried about you. And Fred, did you put sunblock on? There's Gee, no these are people I haven't me. met. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have stuff. Well, the I said lawn grass because one of them is and that's really tough to get out especially when it gets into gra other grasses i mean really it's so hard to get out yes but i have all sorts of grass and you know we also have the new worst weed for me which, which is, is japanese stilt grass which i got about i'd say now 4 years ago and it's it's unbelievable well it's tell me what that perennial. is i don't know if i have that or not by oh. the name i don't know my i don't know my weed grasses by name it's tough to know them. Well, I've got, I've got them all. I've got crabgrass. I've got probably Kentucky blue. I don't know. I've got some lawn grass. Um, I've got the one with the foxtail. Uh, I, I think I've got Johnson's grass, but I'm not really sure. But the, the new horrible one, which I got four years ago, and I think I got it from a plant from Pennsylvania. But I've seen it in a lot of gardens around here now. Is that the one with the long underground runners? No, that one's bad, too. This one's actually very easy to pull out, and it would be just fine if there weren't 75 billion of them. It grows very fast. It's an annual, a hardy annual, and it's uh, it's called stilt grass because it's it's got sort of bends. I don't know, maybe it flops over and stands up again or something, but it's it's got this zigzag growth, but a lot of grasses do. Mm. And it's lightweight and has light leaves like green leaves and so you don't see it until it goes to seed and is a big problem I, yeah, and is spreading its seed around again even though it's a hardy annual and i i've tried to get it before it flowers and try it that way but it's i think it's actually it maybe it came in from floods because it's it's, it's mm, just that's everywhere, a likelihood, yes. everywhere and it's so thick but to get it out i'm gonna have to really clean up everything and 
you can tell when your border needs renovating, not just because of the weed problems, but if things stop flowering, if flowering is reduced, if the size of the plant diminishes, if things seem congested and overcrowded, uh, you know, you think, oh, I got to divide this, I got to divide that. But I think in many ways it's easier to do the whole thing. Then you get to put in some wonderful new soil amendments like aged manure and compost and maybe some fertilizer, uh, slow-release organic fertilizers like green sand and bone meal. And, you know, it, re- it just feels so good. It's like having your house done over. But you know what that's like living through construction. But yep. it's, when it's done, it's great. And. You know, and I could do it physically myself. You're right. It was very enjoyable, cathartic experience and creative. And creative, but, right. But when you can't physically do it yourself anymore, then you have to find somebody that you can trust even when you are standing at their elbow. <laughs> well, we can talk about that too, but you said creative. And that's an, another really good reason to take it on is because you are going to be moving everything. So you can paint new pictures you can make new designs you can decide that those red things that you have but the orange things would really be better if the orange things were but the yellow things uh you know and if you've had great success with one plant and another plant isn't doing well you'll be able to divide the first plant that did so well and have much more of it and maybe fill in that way move the things that have crept forward because they do they move around to further back um, and the bearded iris at a certain point, they stop even blooming if they're congested and if they have too many, you know, if there's things that are eating them or standing over them or making the ground too shaded for them because they want a lot of sun. They want to bake those rhizomes right in the sun. And even though the best time to divide them is in July, right after they bloom, you can divide them in, in the fall or the spring. And if you divide it in the spring, you may not get bloom that first year, but they're certainly going to be happier plants and bigger plants and give you better blooms in the future. So we can talk a little bit more about how I'm going to do that (laughs) and when one should do that, depending on whether you live in the north or south or east or west, when we come back. And I want to talk about logies, too, and the different epiphyllums. These are jungle orchid cacti that are really very easy to grow. So, Vicki, I've been talking too much. And you can hear I'm a little hoarse because I've been talking too much. Sounds good to me. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> I'm just sitting back enjoying it. Oh, enjoying it. it. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll be back in just a few minutes. It's Ken Drew's Real Dirt with Vicki Johnson right here online. Healthy Living with a Twist. Sirius Satellite 114. Stay with us. Hello and welcome back. I didn't know we were back. <laughs> Where's my water? I was going to take a sip of water. Oh, uh, Vicki Johnson, co-host of Ken Drew's Real Dirt. Uh, why don't you say hello for a moment while I take a sip of water? Hello there. We want to talk with, to you about epiphyllums today because Ken had this fabulous night-blooming cereus, which is an epiphyllum, flower, uh, what, I guess two weeks ago. But anyway, we're getting ready to send out a newsletter with photos of this remarkable blossom that appears once a year at night only. You have to stay up on a nice summer night and um, observe this thing in warm climates when the temp- or when the temperature is warm. I was going to say even up north it can be warm enough, I suppose. 
this thing unfolds right before your very eyes sometimes within an hour or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really is fantastic. And if you would like to receive a copy of that newsletter... You can go to our website and sign up for it. It's free. F-R-E-E. Yes, go to kendrews.com. K-E-N-D-R-U-S-E. And there's a box there on the regular website. Or if you click on, um, I heard it on the radio, you go to the radio page. And there's also a box right there on the right-hand side of the page. You click on it and you can um, type in your email address and you're automatically uh, subscribed. And it comes as often as we can get them out <laughs> and uh, yeah and we're going to have a contest you can sign up for too to become my intern slash slave uh, for a year there's no room or board but it's a great opportunity to learn from the master right at my elbow because uh, we were talking about the perennial border renovation and i just wanted to give you a quick rundown on how i how i'm going to do this and when i don't think he's joking folks I think if um, <laughs> you <laughs> or you know somebody who no, is, I'm going to renovate the border. <laughs> who is very interested in an internship, I think he would be interested in a conversation with you. So email us at realdirt at lime dot com and send your resume, <laughs> or encourage the, the able bodied, eager beaver, mm. hardworking person to. Uh, to apply. Well, you know, you know, I have a problem with staff because I always want to make tea for them and stuff. Are you all, are you all right? Did you put on sunblock? I even said that before when I was kidding. <laughs> Can I get you anything? Why don't you sit down? I'll do it. <laughs> you look oh, a little tired. Dear. No, I'm, I, I am kidding, but I'd, I'd overcome that. I'd learn about that. <laughs> but if you, if you live in Zone six or colder. Or I, are willing to no, relocate. No, I was talking about the renovation. I'm getting <laughs> off the subject. We could go back to it someday. Yeah, okay, you're talking, re- going back to renovating water. We then I want to hear about too. the epiphylums. <laughs> well, well, we will, but I just want to finish that up a little bit, don't I? Sure. Because I said I was going to say when, when to do it. Because if you're in zone six or colder, then I think it's best done in the early spring. And if you live in zone seven or warmer, you can take it on in the fall. Because uh, some plants heave, you know, we have the problem with frost heaves, but also plants like grasses, and that's a big example. They don't seem to survive for me when I divide them in the fall or even if I plant them from pots in the fall because they don't make any roots. They they have their big growth burst in late spring and into summer, and then that's kind of it. So when I've planted grasses in the fall, they've pretty much died or come back just barely from little pieces so i don't think it's a great idea um i talked about the iris it'd be better to do the iris in the fall or in july is the best time for the bearded iris but i'm going to be renovating in the spring and i put a tarp down on the lawn right next to the piece of the bed and i'll do probably at the most 50 square feet at a time and i remove the perennials carefully shake off some of the soil and put them on the tarp and just, you know, start at one end and go towards the other end. And uh, if I can't finish it all in a day, which I, I'm sure I can't, I just roll the edges of the tarp over the plants and drag it into a place so it's out of the sun and out of the wind. And if I have to leave it longer than that, or if I'm just being good, <laughs> I might divide those plants and cover them with several sheets of moistened newspaper and then fold the tarp over and get it out of the sun and out of the wind, too. And I've even left them for... Longer than a couple of days, which is not great. 
But I find it much easier in general to divide plants once they're out of the ground. You know, you might see pictures of people shoving two back-to-back garden forks between some plant and prying them apart, and it's it's hard in the ground because they're just pushing against the soil, and so much gets mangled. I think uh, a lot of that surgery is better done on the tarp, even if you are using the forks. And I think the tool that I probably use the most for dividing plants is a, an old serrated bread knife that I've retired from the kitchen. Uh, and I just thread it through between the different crowns, the eyes, the growing points of the perennial, and slice down, slice it into pie wedges. And then you, you take one plant like, well, any plant, like a hosta, and you're going to come up with, you know, 10 or more new pieces. And they actually grow to the original size Sometimes in one season, they just come right back. Now, what do you do with those extra plants? Fortunately, Vicki Johnson's a chump for extra plants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm starting to fill up. (laughs) Well, I pot them up or I give them away or donate them to plant sales, and you're supposed to put them on the compost pile, but I have an awful lot of trouble with that. And, uh, of course, I'm going to use many of them again, and... I was going to say thankfully, but things die, too. So we will have some spaces, some new holes in the border, and I might make the border larger or start a new planting someplace else in the property. But anyway, that's what I'll be doing next April, March and April, and that's what some of you can do soon, as soon as the foliage dies down in the fall. Well, and it's a good idea to draw a map and to write down right now what you want to change because next spring you're going to be so into spring and so excited about new spring, you're going to forget some of the things that you need to do and want to do. So make those notes now. Well, and listeners to our show, of course, have been making those notes and taking pictures of things. Keeping a journal. Yeah, well, or at least taking some digital snapshots and remembering that they wanted to move Corky over to the blue part and move Golden Chimes over to the <laughs> tawny tan part. Well, that's... Something I did uh, by accident. Um, I mean, I fixed it because I thought that the pale yellow would be good with the tans and the golden one would be better with the blues, but it was actually just the opposite. And sometimes I pick a flower from the garden and walk around the garden and, you know, just hold it up and look at it and say, oh, that would look good here. And then I do tend to write that down or make a note somewhere and take lots of photographs. Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. <laughs> That's the trouble with me. I, I can't take a photograph. The other day, I, I took a photograph in under an hour. You'd be really proud of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ken snapshot <laughs> is, right. six, is 59 minutes or less. That's, that's right. Uh-huh. That's my candid shot. Whew. Okay, so tell me more about epiphylums. Well, epiphylum, I had one 100 yeah. years ago. I'm sure you're exaggerating. Well, right. Since I'm only 90, I guess it was 70 years ago. (laughs) Well, you remind me of that pink one that I can't wait till it gets bigger. But I got a piece of it. These are cacti, cactuses, that come from Central and South America. They have flat leaves. They do have spines, but they're almost invisible, and you won't get stuck in most cases. I've never heard of anyone getting stuck from an epiphyllum. They have flat leaves. They're called orchid cacti because they have big flowers and everything, but also they live, as many orchids do, in trees. They're epiphytic plants, which is where the name epiphyllum comes from, Uh, and like a bromeliad and orchids and what's some other good examples? They're not parasitic. They're not parasites. They just hang out in trees, and they grow there. 
And they have lots of big flat leaves that are frankly not very attractive. No, the only time you will say, oh, I've got to have that, is if you see one in flower, which is what happened to me when I was a youth and knew hardly anything about gardening. And a friend, a very dear friend, gave me a small pot of what I now know as an epiphyllum. And I thought, oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, just wait, just wait. And so I held on to it for his sake. And boy, was he right. Mine had like a bright 1950s lipstick red blossom that knocked your socks off. I mean, it really did. And it was huge. Not as big as your night-blooming serious flower, but I would say the front of it was at least six inches across. Well, are we talking about dessert plate or tea, tea saucer, teacup I'd say, saucer? I'd say the smallest one was a tea saucer, and, and the year that we had the biggest one, because they would be different from year to year, I guess, because mm. branches do break off if you aren't careful, because they're so lanky, these stems. The, I find that branches break off when I drop the plant, which I do every year. Well, I, it's hard not to, <laughs> you know, know taking this thing indoors and outdoors because yeah. those, those limbs do just really kind of out there. You know? They're segmented leaves, sort of. They're, mm-hmm. they're just, I guess they are stems. Yeah, of they course do they look like the stems of a, on, on a Christmas cactus, but much lo- wider well, and longer. Well, it's great that you're saying Christmas cactus because that's one way of really communicating what these plants are. They're like the Thanksgiving cactus and the Christmas cactus and the Easter cactus, only gigantic, blown up. Yes. And we're going to come back in just a few minutes and talk about the different colors, and I'll tell the story of the pink one that I can't wait to get more flowers from and try not to drop the one that I'm about to put back in the sun porch for the winter. Or I think I have done that, actually. So we'll be right back. It's Ken Drews and Ken Drews Real Dirt with Vicki Johnson. Hello, I'm so glad you stayed with us, and if you're just joining us, this is Ken Drews Real Dirt, and I'm your host, Ken Drews, and I'm here with Vicki Johnson, co-host, garden columnist, garden writer, hey, Ken. garden photographer. Hey, yeah? Guess what? What? We haven't talked about the weather once. It's a miracle. <laughs> if, you have a, if this Except is the first time count? you've heard us, we can, <laughs> we can be really terrible and waste too much time talking about the weather. We're not wasting And uh, or... What is the Farmers, other Farmers, gardeners. Oh, and, and pests and, and four-legged oh, well, visitors critters. that we wish would stay away. But we didn't. And so here we are going back to epiphyllums, which I'm quite excited about. Well, the listeners can't tell that we are having our four-legged problems here today. But that's uh, it's another story. The cats are awake the cats and wanting are attention. Awake and we're trying not to let them meow or boy do what he does which is talk but (laughs) and he loves epiphyllum so we're in trouble here that's why he's so active but these are orchid cacti they're from the jungles of central and mexico central america south america the west indies and all cacti are from the americas i don't know if you knew that vicky they're all from this hemisphere I think North I and did, South America. But you reminded me, yes. No cactus in the old world, as they used to say, in the olden times. But these plants, which we both admitted are not the most beautiful plants in the world, they have long, flat stems uh, and are real cacti, have gigantic flowers. And they, they are like blown up versions of 
the Christmas cactus and the Easter cactus and the Thanksgiving cactus. And most of them react very similarly after a period of drought and cool winter, which is terrific because bring that plant into a cool room. And if you forget to water it, don't worry about it. If you have low humidity, which we all have, don't worry about it. This plant can take just about anything. And with a little bit of that kind of abuse, just a dormant period where it's quiet and not too moist and certainly don't feed it, it will reward you in the spring, late winter and in the spring and maybe even into the summer with gigantic, gorgeous flowers. It's so hard to describe them. They have lots and lots of petals and they come in colors from white to yellow to pink to sunset to cerise to orange to... Deep red. Deep red. Have I left anything out? There's no blue, I think. There's no blue. I mean, and I think the Night Blooming Series is the only one that really is only open for one night and at night because my red one from ages ago bloomed frequently, you know, I would say over the course of a month and during the day. Yeah, and for three days sometimes, depending on temperature. The blossoms would stay in each individual blossom. And there were tons of them. This is, and, right. and the directions I've just given are for the epiphyllums in general, except for the night-blooming cereus. And I'll get into that for a second, but in a second. But I, I know that Vicki wanted to know where my night-blooming cereus came from and where one might get a lot more epiphyllums, or at least see them. You can see them online and also get the catalog. And it's logies. When I was a kid... I used to go when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, like 40. No, when I was a kid in, when I was in college, I think that's when, the first time I went to Lodges, I think I was maybe 18 and I loved indoor plants and I loved house plants. And I went to Mecca, which are the series of very old greenhouses in Danielson, Connecticut. And it's now run by the Martins who are descendants of the Logie family. And they have, the catalog probably has, I don't know, a couple hundred plants in it. But the greenhouse has thousands of plants. And if you can dream it up, and it's tropical, and it's for a windowsill or a greenhouse, that's the place you can get it. And some of these plants are plants that we've now taken outdoors for the summer as tender perennials. And, you know, you could get them at Logies all those years ago. They have a lemon at Logies, which is the American Wonder Lemon, Ponderosa Lemon. has lemons... I was going to say as big as a football. Well, they're shaped like a football, and they're half the size of a football. I suppose if you took off all the fruits and just left one, you would have one as big as a watermelon. <laughs> but they, in Danielson, they used to take this plant out once a year and put it in a parade. This is true. <laughs> and parade it down the streets. But I think they don't do that anymore. But, uh, oh, how funny. The epiphyllum, we were saying, are as big as saucers to dinner plates. The night blooming cereus, which is epiphyllum oxypetalum, is really almost as big as a dinner plate. Good ten inches across. And wait till you see the photograph of this flower. It's unbelievable. And again, if you'd like to receive a copy of the free newsletter that we are sending out today, um, please write us at realdirt at lime dot com, or go to the website kendrews dot com and click on the sign up for Ken's free newsletter, and we'll send one right out to you with a photograph and and uh, some specific cultural tips for making sure your night blooming serious flowers for you and you can plan a party around it next year well that's what people used to do in victorian times they would have this thing out on the porch because we love to summer our plants out on the porch and the, the all those epiphyllums love it more than any anything 
and still so easy to care for. Just put it where it can get some rain or just water it yourself. And the, the Epiphyllum oxypetalum, the night-blooming cereus, doesn't grow like we were describing. The plants, the, most of the epiphyllums are kind of like basket plants. They just send out these flat stems all from a central place and just fill up a basket, which you wish was symmetrical but never seems to be. But when you drop the plant, as I do... <laughs> Let, take just take that stem and stick it back in the pot where you want it to stick it on top of the pot on the medium the growing medium or the soil and it'll fill in and become symmetrical and look better i mean we're saying they're ugly but they're really not that ugly but uh my night blooming cereus the first one of which i'm growing descendants now came from logies and it has they're almost like trunks it has stalks that come up from the soil in the pot, and this is a tropical plant, so we're not playing them outdoors, and then it shoots up to four to five feet, and then it makes its flat stems, and then it makes the flower buds. And unlike those other epiphyllum, which are related to the, or behave more like the Christmas cactus and things like that, uh, this one blooms in the summer. And we started to talk about how people in Victorian times would go out on their porches, invite their friends over, make some lemonade, right? That's a good idea. And the kids would love it because not only could they see this flower opening right before their very eyes, but they'd also get to stay up late. Kids <laughs> love that. This is pre-TV, pre-radio. I think it's something we should get back into. And you can you can sort of tell when it's going to open. <laughs> you have to warn warn your friends that you have three days that you have to reserve. But the day it's going to open, the bud, which by then is the size of a navel orange, it starts, it swells even a little more, and then the tip of it, which is pointed, uh, the petals start to fray open, and that begins just when you've told everyone not to come over and the iced tea melted, <laughs> and uh, it's going to happen. And then it, this year it took, a, I told you, Vicky, it was a very cool night, and it took hours to open. Yes, I think you said it started, you got back home around 8 p.m. and you weren't in bed until after midnight. midnight. Well, it took me an hour to take the snapshot, <laughs> which I took at 11, started taking the pictures at 11 p.m. So there were two buds and one flower fully opened at 11 p.m. So the kids, of course, were very happy. They could stay up till midnight. <laughs> and it has a wonderful fragrance. It smells like pepsin, which uh, people aren't that familiar with pepsin fragrance anymore you know pepsin used to be used as a flavoring in gum chewing gum and and pepsin toothpaste comes from that word it's an enzyme that smells like light wintergreen very nice fragrance and it just wafts through the air and on a cool night it doesn't <laughs> on a cool night you gotta <laughs> you put to your nose right up to it, to it. <laughs> take little snips you don't want to take a big, big deep breath and anesthetize your olfactory bulb you want to go <laughs> so you can smell it and it has these anthers that come out of the center of the flower that, oh, it's just spectacular. It's, it's so hard to describe. Go to the website <laughs> and look at the newsletter because uh, it is hard to describe. And that's just a white one. I started to tell you about the pink one that I got recently that's not a night blooming one. It's just regular epiphyllum. I just got one little flat section of stem. It's already rooted. It's already bloomed, actually. And this one has small and very, it's a very old plant, small pink flowers, but tons of them. And this plant came to me from a friend of mine in Colorado who got it from his grandmother in Montana, who got it from the guy who used to be the cook 
on the chuck wagon on their <laughs> ranch who got it from his grandmother in the West Indies. Was this the guy who was the origin, original uh, caretaker of the original sourdough start? <laughs> That's a really a phenomenal story. I love that. This that is you... the person who invented dirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool to have a plant with that much history. That's just really cool. And now it's got about three or four segments, and next year I think it's going to be great. But when I saw this plant in bloom before I admired it enough to acquire a little piece, they're so easy to root. Um, it was it was really covered with these flowers, and they were small. I thought that was really pretty. When I say small, I mean they were like two inches, two and a half <laughs> inches, like roses, pink, mm. ro- and it's a clear pink. It's, I really want a sunset-colored one next, I think. But uh, very good, easy plants to grow, and, you know, we should take a, a little journey up to Lodi's sometime, don't you think? I think Into so. Danielson, Connecticut. Absolutely. Say hello to Byron Martin. I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll leave my checkbook home. Good idea? <laughs> or maybe I could just take $30 oh, or 300 right. You know, uh-huh. something like that, huh? Sure. We'll take the smaller car. Well, that won't do any good. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hello and welcome back. Thank you for being here with us. This is Ken Drews and you're listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt right here on Lime, Healthy Living with a Twist, Sirius Satellite Radio 114. I'm with Vicki Johnson. We're here every week and you can listen to us online as well at lime.com and send us a question or a comment at realdirt at lime.com. Is that enough to remember while you're driving? Both hands on the wheel, please. We'll say it again, and if you need to know anything else, kendrews.com is the website, and you can click on I Heard on the Radio, and Vicki so delightfully and happily posts everything. I didn't realize that that newsletter was going out today, but that's cool, because we're talking about the epiphyllum oxypetalum, and people will be able to share it. They and if you'd like to share the newsletter with a friend, please do that. We would like that very much. And you can take a virtual tour of of Ken's garden through, Uh-oh. I should say, three seasons. Actually, two seasons, spring and summer. We need to put some fall photos in there, actually. I need to take some fall mm-hmm. photos in less than an hour apiece. Well, you have you have some lovely fall f- photos. We just haven't put them in the gallery yet of, oh. for visiting Ken's garden. It's getting time. It's that time of year. We're sliding into autumn, even though we uh. haven't had a frost yet, which seems so unusual to me. We almost always had a light frost, at least by the. Oh, here I am talking about weather. Uh-huh. <laughs> we couldn't do a whole episode without doing it. No. no. Anyway, fall is gorgeous time of year, and do we want to tell them about the garden in the woods thingy that we just heard about? I don't know all the details, but. Well, I, I hope you get up there. I know you've been talking about it. I want to. I'm. I'm going to try to. The first, you know, next weekend actually. Well, the Garden in the Woods is a native plant and a shade garden. It's a wildflower garden and a shade garden in Framingham, Massachusetts. Isn't that the home of the New England Wildflower Society? It is, precisely. And also they sell nice plants. It's a really good place to get native northeastern plants, too. And they, they have a new place. That's a long story. And they, I'm sure they have a website. <laughs> I know they, they do, do have a website and a great bookstore, by the way, of, of lots of 
esoteric gardening books if you're looking for something specific. And the best time of year, I think, to go there is the best day of the year to go there, I think, is May 15th. But since you can't wait, and since you might go, Vicki, you can tell them about a show that's on right now that's of Garden Sculpture. And we've heard some wonderful things about this because we've talked before on the show about how difficult it is to place garden sculpture and to even buy garden sculpture. Well, it's a matter of taste, but, you know, I go to some so many gardens where they have this bright, shiny stainless steel and brass abstract thing, and that can work, <laughs> I'm sure. In the right setting, it In the right work. setting. It's a lot of work to get it in the right setting. But these mm. all sounded pretty good because they were made out of organic materials and local materials, which I guess is a good tip, too. Well, in fact, the name of the exhibit, installation, I should say, is Rock On. And I think oh. they invited several artists to do installations of sculpture out of, you know, native material, rock. I'm not sure if there's manufactured stone or not. It looks like sculpture as well as in the ground, like rock, uh, maybe pebble mosaic. If you check out their website, um, New England Wildflower Society dot org, um, I'm sure that you'll see a what I found, which was a little notice right there advertising the installation, and I think it's on only until October fifteenth. So if you're heading to the Northeast to enjoy fall foliage, you might want to think of going to Framingham and taking in this exhibit. Anyway, I kind of digressed there. No, no, you're right there. And this is another good time to go there because I said the best time to go there is May 15th. The other best time to go there is October 15th for the flip side of spring, which is something the British envy us for, which is our incredible, glorious fall color. Yes, it's, you know, the the, the Colorado Rockies have their glorious golden aspens and so do the Sierra Nevadas and the Wasatch in, in um, Utah. But you know what? Not even Virginia or North Carolina oh, can ri- the, the mountains, sm- Blue Mountains, sm- Smoky Mountains. They cannot rival the Northeast in, in the autumn. It's phenomenal. It's, you cannot believe it until you see it. In fact, I kind of, every year I kind of think, oh, you know, fall foliage. And then it peaks, even when it's not such a fantastic year. It is just... It just takes your breath away, mm-hmm. and it's every single year. It just is. It's amazing. different every year too, but you know more or less, and and how long it lasts, and whether we have a lot of brown with our orange, or whether we have a lot of yellow and orange and red. I I keep suspecting that this is going to be a good year because we had heat and wet, and it seems to me that you need them both, heat and wet. But we'll find out because it hasn't. It's barely begun. And usually by September 15th, we have good hints and signs, especially with the sugar maples. You know, you say sugar maple, and I, I instantly go to a little dark corner. What's wrong with me? Why do well, I think you're that worried way? about the sugar maples. I am, and, I know. And so are, are all the uh, maple sugar farmers in the Northeast. Well, There's... I'm worried about the salt from the, the salt trucks because the, they're, they're intolerant of salt. Absolutely intolerant. If you want to kill a sugar, and I shouldn't say that. My goodness, what a terrible no, thing to say. No, if you want to plant a sugar maple tree, don't put it next to your driveway yeah, don't put or it your on sidewalk. We used to have them as street trees, but it's not a good idea anymore. A red maple is a better maple, right? Because they're glorious. Our town 
has uh, made a major project in the last few years of replanting some not so small um, trees along the neighborhood streets, and they're a glorious color in the fall, and I believe it might be Acer rubrum. They are not sugar maples, I know that. Yeah, I'm going to come take a good look, but right near your house you have a couple of the most incredible plants ever. You know what I'm talking about? The one that falls on the hedge there. Oh, the ginkgos. Oh, my goodness. That has to be one of the most remarkable ginkgos. And the ground, and everything is covered with yellow fans, fan-shaped leaves. Well, and it's planted on a hill, and as you drive up that hill, all you can see on a sunny day in autumn is this glorious gold against the crisp blue of an autumn sky, and I'm surprised there aren't more car wrecks <laughs> of everybody wanting to I slam like the on their brakes the right. to, to take a Two. you know There's to stop in, and look. Right before you get to that one, you get to the one on the right because the leaves fall on that green hedge. And yes. You can just, well, they're easier to pick up and put in the plastic bag. Yes. <laughs> and press. I didn't, I know I did that. I, I must have gotten, I don't know, bags of them and I didn't, I didn't press any of them. Well, but I right composted acro- them. Oh, and right across the street from that fabulous ginkgo is the very large church in town with not very large front garden, but they have planted a nice assortment of mostly maple, but they aren't all sugar maples. And I don't know. I don't recognize, you know, I have to stop and go look because I'm whizzing by in my car. But every autumn we have the golden um Glorious glowing uh, ginkgo on the right, and then across the street are the, is this lovely palette of autumn color against this beautiful stone church. So we live in a beautiful place. Well, those red maples, as you may or may not know, are mostly selections of red maple. There's a really incredibly wide range of color, fall color. In, That's in what autumns. I've discovered as I've tried to go shopping. <laughs> And one of them, and I, I know it's got flame in that name. I should have prepared. For, I didn't know we were going to talk about those. Actually, it's not red flame, but it's like that. It. I heard they actually sold out last year. It's so popular. But there's, there's a lot of varieties, and you can look at your local nursery, and you'll see that they almost all have names that imply color. Because the red doesn't come from the, from the fall color. The name of the plant it comes from. The flowers in the spring. I was going to say one of my favorite characteristics of the red maple is, do you call them samaras? Those little things that become polynoses? Right. But the uh, flowers, yes, the flowers early. They're big. It has big flowers for a maple. So it's this glowing, fabulous clouds. But then when the fresh samaras, you have this, it's like stained glass. The, the the liquid jelly you know like like current jelly red combined yeah. with with fresh you know lime <laughs> green it's like a sta- it's looking through stained glass to look at a cluster of these samaras hanging on the branches and those follow the flowers correct they do most maples have the i say samaras which is almost the same they have the samaras which is a double winged dry fruit in other words, see. the polynoses. <laughs> or helicopters. That's what we helicopters, used to call Helicopters, okay. Um, they have them in the fall, most of them. That's why you see them falling, dropping in the fall. But the red maple, and I think the silver maple too, and a few other plants, have 
them in the spring. And actually, if you're going to sow some, you sow them in the spring fresh. That's another story, right? For another day. Yes. But I'm glad you talked about the red maples. And I'm glad you talked about spring, too, because as fall comes upon us and then winds down, I want to be thinking about spring. And those red maple flowers are one of the first most wonderful signs of spring for us here in this area. And we'll be with you next week again, so please tune in to Ken Drew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show, online, Healthy Living with a Twist, 